The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Digital Industries Changing the Game, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's digital strategy and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. I always say it and I always mean it. The buzz today, shaken, not stirred. Let me just let that sink in for a second. Does that sound familiar? If you're a James Bond 007 fan, that's how he liked his Vesper martinis prepared. But I digress. Let's look forward to what's happening in the world of ProServe Professional Services. By 2025, goodness, that's not that far away, the world's largest professional services firms could have no employees thanks to the perpetual disruption of digitalization. That's a lot of big words in there, but we're going to help figure it out during the course of the show. Why did I say this? Today's global business and multi-service providers are being challenged to continuously update their business models to stay competitive. Isn't that the name of the game? Compete, survive, thrive, and guess what? Success will come to the fully digitized firms that can design such things as reusable IP-based assets. We will explain that and deliver them by a mobile-enabled, socially connected workforce. A lot of concepts I'm throwing out here. We have three panelists who are going to explain it, tell you why it's important. So today we're talking to everybody in the professional services industry, and we'll even level set in a couple minutes and tell you who we think you are, and you may be in other industries and find this equally as interesting. So get ready and take notes. The experts speak. First up, I'm very pleased to welcome back Ari Kaplan. That's A-R-I-K-A-P-L-A-N, the principal of Ari Kaplan Advisors. Ari has sent me a wonderful quote from Jesse Owens. If you're scratching your head, who was Jesse Owens? Well, his full name was James Cleveland Jesse Owens. He lived from 1913 to 1980. He was an American track and field athlete and four-time Olympic gold medalist, specializing in sprints and long jumps, and he was recognized in his lifetime. And that's wonderful that he was recognized while he was alive, not just after the fact, like many artists, as perhaps the greatest and most famous athlete in track and field history. I'll just leave it at that. By the way, one more thing. Uh, at the 1935 Big Ten track meet in Ann Arbor, Michigan, that was called the greatest 45 minutes ever in sports when Jesse Owens set three world's records. I'm going to stop there. Here's the quote. We all have dreams. In order to make dreams come into reality, it takes an awful lot of determination, dedication, self-discipline, and effort. Ari Kaplan, thank you for the wonderful quote. How are you, Ari? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. 
We are delighted. We had you on our recent show about law firms in terms of what they need to do to move forward in the future. And today we're looking at a broader base of pro service. So Ari, tell me a little bit about the quote, and then I'm going to ask you to level set for us. What are we including in the large perspective or the large category, if you will, of pro serve? So Ari, quote first, please. I am a runner, but also a history buff, and I've always been inspired uh, by great runners in our history and find that sport is a great metaphor for business. And I think that this particular quote about wanting to accomplish something but needing to go through uh, I always, I always, whenever my kids ask me about accomplishing something, I always say, you know, the only way out is through. And I want them to recognize that there are certain things that you need to accomplish in order to get somewhere else and to get to the place that you're trying to, uh, you know, sort of achieve something with. And I think that running is a great example of that because runners run. It's not that they run so fast, it's that they run often, they run regularly. I've run a few marathons myself. I'm running the Chicago Mm -hmm. Marathon in the fall. And Mm -hmm. I just, I find it to be a very peaceful, thought-provoking experience. And I think business, especially professional services, can, you know, can really provide that. Wonderful. I, that's right. I remember you're a runner and some great lessons in here. Ari, let's broaden our conversation before I bring in your co-panelists to what is ProServe? What does that mean today? Professional services. Who are these people we're addressing? Who's going to benefit from the information on today's show, please? I am the author of a couple different books, one of which is called Reinventing Professional Services, Building Your Business in the Digital Marketplace. And so mm-hmm. when I chose that topic, I spoke to folks in, in financial services, in, in architecture, in accounting, in uh, you know, veterinarians, all kinds of medical professionals, healthcare. The, the range is so extraordinary these days, and you know, of course, legal services. And the range mm-hmm. is, is broad because the nature of who's providing services and what they're providing those services for in a, in a variety of growing industries is equally broad. So I think that it is inclusive of lots of different organizations that are in many ways leveraging technology and personal service and trying to find a middle ground that carries them into the future. Thank you. And, and Ari, just quickly, would this preclude somebody who's giving, who providing professional services who also has a product such as they create an app, which could be seen as a service or in, in a sense, of, you know, thinking of it as a product or, or a, uh, a book on how to do something, a how-to or a technical manual, would they still be professional services or would they go into the production or producer category? You know, it's interesting to you ask that because, as you know, I have developed some technology and that includes an mm-hmm. app. And so I walk this weird line of being in professional services and yet also being a technology provider. I don't think it precludes them. I think that, you know, the people who do that are enhancing what they offer, trying to find different platforms in an increasingly diverse technological marketplace. And so what they're trying to offer is a broader form of professional services, just leveraging technology to enhance it. 
Thank you very much. Good answer. Yes, I remember you said that last week. Very interesting to know. Okay, and I wasn't picking on you, by the way, but it's a great, great to have a living example, Ari. Thank you, Ari. And now let me welcome our second panelist, a newcomer to Game Changers Radio. His full name is Mit Rancor Majumdar, and he told me we're such good friends after one brief call last week that I can call him Mit, M-I-T. And he is a vice president and regional head of services in the Americas at Infosys. Shout out to all of our friends at Infosys. And Mitt has sent me a quote from Thomas Jefferson. Now, who doesn't know Thomas Jefferson? But let me just give you a little background. He lived from 1743 to 1826, an American founding father, a principal author of the Declaration of Independence in 1776. He was second vice president of the United States from 1797 to 1801 and a proponent of democracy, republicanism. I don't think they were splitting parties the way they do in those days today, the way they were then and individual rights. But what's interesting is that he was a man of many talents. He was a surveyor. He was interested in mathematics, horticulture, inventions, and architecture. So I think we have a renaissance man here in Thomas Jefferson. Here is the quote. It's six little words that pack a punch. Every generation needs a new revolution. Mitt Majumdar, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here, Bonnie. So good to be speaking to you and my colleagues, Ari and Patrice. Thank you very much. And Mitt, tell me, are you a big fan of Thomas Jefferson? How did you pick a quote that's so brief and yet is so powerful? Talk to me. I'm just impressed with the way a visionary, you know, like Thomas Jefferson, who wrote the Declaration of Independence, also had the foresight to think that things have to change drastically. You know, revolution has to happen in every generation to change the status quo. Uh, for example, we have heard of uh, so many revolutions, you know, like um, agricultural revolution, industrial revolution, etc. And now in industrial revolution itself, there was a revolution of mechanization of the textile industry. That is how the factories are born. Uh, and then the second industrial revolution came when Henry Ford mastered the moving assembly line and brought in the age of uh, mass production. And now we are witnessing this third industrial revolution, which is digital revolution, right? I mean, uh, the whole Internet, Internet of Things, nanotechnology, and so much more. Uh, this is an era where uh, everything from smell, touch, actions are being digitized. Uh, it is just an exciting time for all of us. Thank you, Mitt. Very interesting. And, and when you mention about every generation, I'm thinking there are many practitioners of professional services who've been doing it for a long, long time. Will they embrace this digital revolution, evolution? Do they know it's here? Do the, the I'll say old-time law offices, uh, medical offices, do they get it that things are happening, that consumers, patients, clients, whatever you want to call them, customers, need a faster response, they need a more global approach, they need it now, and digital is the way. What do you observe, Mitt? Absolutely. See, um, obviously there will be some resistance in the beginning, but uh, more and more I have seen in every field, whether it is, you know, um, uh, field of medical science or whether it is a field of um, hotel industry or travel industry, wherever you look at, right, people have embraced it. I mean, this is helping them reach the consumer faster. This is helping them get the products into the market faster. This is helping them generate more efficiency, reduce the cost of giving services. So, you know, there will be some resistance in the beginning, but those days are gone. I think, you know, more and more and more people want to figure out ways how to leverage it more. Um, I mean, that is what we are observing in the industry right now. 
Thank you very much. Appreciate that, Mitt. Pleasure to meet you. And now let me welcome our third panelist who's already been alluded to by Mitt. It's Patrice Capello, C-A-P-P-E-L-L-O, North America Industry Lead for the Professional Services Industry at SAP. And Patrice has sent me an interesting quote. Uh, Some of you might find the source of the quote interesting. It's one of the six things that Charles Darwin never said. And we've had this quote on the show before. The quote stands. It's very interesting. But most students of what Darwin didn't didn't say attribute this to a Louisiana State University business professor named Leon C. Megason, who in 1963 was addressing the convention of the Southwestern Social Science Association. I'm going to stop right there and read the quote. Here it is. It is not the strongest of the species that survive, nor the most intelligent, but the one most responsive to change. Patrice Capella, welcome back. How are you, Patrice? I'm great. Delighted to be here, Bonnie. We are too. Now, I, when I, funny story, when I told you that it really wasn't from Darwin, you said, I don't care. I still want the quote. And I applaud you. <laughs> I really do. So what's so magical about this quote? I think I know, but why don't you tell our listeners, Patrice? I sure will, but I must start by saying I hope I'm not your first guest to provide a quote with the wrong author. <laughs> not, e- not Out of over a 1,000 people, maybe 2,000 people, you are certainly not. But popularly, it is popularly attributed to Darwin. So I just to like Darwin. to go go looking around and seeing who really said what. So, so blame exactly. that. So, Patrice, what's so important? The one who's most responsive to change, is that what we're talking about? Is that our main message to our ProServe audience today? It is. I really thought this quote said it all. It's what firms are experiencing, especially in the last 10 to 15 years with globalization, um, with more sophisticated customers and the technology cycles being shorter and shorter and shorter. It's the firm that is responsive to the change. Well, first of all, admits there is a change happening and Mm -hmm. creates a plan to respond to that change that will survive and move to the next level. And the ones that essentially what we're saying is status quo, business as usual, is not working. And it's what mm-hmm. Mitt sees out there every day. It's what Ari sees out there every day. And it's what I see out there every day. And I think the quote really encapsulates um, the imperative that companies are feeling that they need to to change the way they're doing things in order to maintain their current position or continue to be relevant to their clients most specifically. Thank you, Patrice. I'm going to pose a quick question to you, and we can have the rest of the panel answer it. In terms of newcomers to ProServe, are they going to be able to hit the ground running because they know, because they're in the digital economy, they're in the age where digitization, digitalization, digitizing everything, uh, the hyper-connectivity, Internet of Things, they are, many of them, young millennials, older millennials have cut their teeth on this technology and they get that this is what they need. Are they going to have, I'll put quotes around the next word, an unfair advantage over longer term, meaning older pro-serve practitioners, Patrice, who are having to adapt and change versus the ones who start the right way? What do you see? I couldn't agree more that, yes, that is true. And Mm -hmm. I got to see it in my career in the late 1990s where these startups were popping up all over the place with the dot-com boom. And every one of them, because I was selling technology then as well, were looking to put infrastructure in place for starters. So they had this advantage that maybe older companies didn't have in that they understood from day one that technology was going to be one of the main enablers for the firm. So they have that, and they also, for another reason, um, 
can be more agile because they're not they're not weighted down with these legacy mm-hmm. systems and partner i mean and business models that may inhibit the way they need to grow and the way they need to change so i absolutely agree that these newer younger companies may not be newer younger people but newer mm-hmm. younger companies have the agility to respond to change and really do see technology as one of the key enablers to getting where they need to go. Great point. Thank you. I'm glad you agree. Ari Kaplan, let's get your POV on this before we ask what you're drinking today. Ari? The, you know, the next generation does have an advantage, except in professional services, there's a lot that's based on trust, that's based on Mm. experience. There's a wisdom factor that newer organizations may lack. And so in this case, a larger organization that actually has a plan to embrace technology and showcases its agility as opposed to mimicking the ability, the agility of someone that's new may have a, a greater advantage, which is contrary uh, to other industries where if I layer in technology and I'm smarter, faster, cheaper, I might have that advantage, but in professional services, I think because of the trust factor, there you know there's just as much of an opportunity for a larger institution to be competitive when they're layering technology as opposed to simply losing market share to someone who's uh, newer and cooler. Thank you. Let me get Mitt Majumdar's POV on this. Mitt, talk to us. What do you think? I think uh, I agree with what Patrice was saying, right? This information and knowledge is getting digitized. You know, it is available everywhere in the public domain. So um, the competition is coming from everywhere. If you look at Airbnb, it has become a competition to hotels. If you look mm-hmm. at Uber, it has become a competition to rental cars. So um, the the firms that have been in existence for a long time, they have to think of different ways to bring value to their to their consumers. They cannot live on what they have been doing. Totally agree with Ari what he was saying about experience, the trust, trust factor. But remember, only the knowledge is not good enough anymore. People have to bring additional mm-hmm. value because knowledge is digitized and it is available to uh, to everybody. The entry barrier has has sort of gone down. It has reduced a lot. Uh, anybody can come in. Competition come from anywhere, in my opinion. Very interesting. Very interesting point. Yes, I, I teach some tech classes at my local adult education center, and I had a man who came in supposedly for blogging 101 last week. Turns out he's ready to start his own consulting business, but he's been working in the finance industry for 30 years. He wants to take all of that knowledge and become the go-to guy for a very niche offering based on a newsletter he has written for a very large finance organization. Ari, you'll appreciate this. So I said to him, have you checked to see who owns the intellectual property of what you were doing, the name of that newsletter, what you were doing under the auspices in their halls and walls using their computer, sitting at their desk all these years? And he said, no, I I think I ought to. I said, well, who do you think you're going to call, Ari? And he said, well, I I think uh, Queens County in New York has a, a hotline you can call for 35 bucks. You can get a lawyer's opinion on what you need to do. And I just sat there and didn't say anything. Ari? Was I... He's definitely got some challenges. He should certainly call a lawyer for sure. Yep. Question is, which is he going to call a young lawyer, an old lawyer? Is he going to call a lawyer hotline and take it for... I, I just was so worried about him. Anyway, we had a good session. Uh, so, Ari Kaplan, now we all need a refresher. The pause that refreshes. Ari, what are you drinking today? Where are you calling from? And what's in your cup today, or what are you planning to drink later? I am calling from my home office in New Jersey, and I'm drinking today a banana strawberry smoothie. I am mm. a big I'm a big smoothie drinker. We actually 
had our two-year-old uh, twin niece and nephew with us this weekend. They were big fans of strawberry, so we had a bunch left. And it's a sunny, sunny spring day, and I wanted to have a little smoothie on this, uh, this wonderful sunny day. How nice. Do you put any sweetener in it or just what, what goes in as the base? Never. Um, the, well, What's I guess the liquid? There's sort of natural orange juice and some almond milk, but otherwise uh, just a bunch of fruits. And, I, you know, so. the smoothie is funny to me because I think a smoothie is a great example of how you need to be able to explain things. Uh, you know, if you can explain things in the same way that you can explain how you make a smoothie, I throw in some strawberries, some bananas, some almond milk, whatever, uh, you'll always be able to kind of capture and maintain the attention of your audience. If you can't do that... And and whatever you're explaining, you're describing, your service, your offering is too complicated, you lose them and you never really make that connection. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Mitt, we had a little bit of philosophy with this drink. Mitt Majumdar, where are you calling from and what are you drinking today or what do you prefer to drink? <laughs> Bonnie, I'm calling from Infosys office uh, in Plano, Texas. Um, I am drinking something called chai. It has become mm-hmm. a very popular drink nowadays around the world. But I love a very simple, straightforward, hot cup of chai. No fennel seeds, no cardamom, no cinnamon, no spice, basically. Uh, it's a very common drink in India. We put tea leaves in a pan, some water, boil it, put some milk and sugar, let it boil for a little mm. while, and it is ready to drink. So this is something that I can have any time of the day. And you can buy uh, a chai in any nook and corner in India. People would put small, small tea stalls in India and just sell tea and nothing else. Uh, I just hope one day we'll see India-style um, chai stalls in different airports uh, around the world. Uh, I can tell you there'll be many buyers. I have a feeling you and your colleagues at Infosys might want to do that, an Infosys-sponsored chai stall in uh, LaGuardia and JFK, and I'll be the first one there, and, and I'll say hello to you if you're, if you're there, on, if you're digitally there. I expect a digital presence, Mitt, even if you're not in New York. That sounds very interesting. I'm intrigued that you put, put the milk and the sugar in before you boil it or after it's boiled? After it is boiled once, and then okay. I, I, this is my style. I put a little bit of milk and sugar after that and let it boil a little bit while. That's what I thought you said. Interesting. Going to have to try that. Thank you, Patrice Capella. Where are you, and what are you looking forward to drinking or drinking right now? I am calling in from outside of Boston, from Westford, Massachusetts, my home office, and I'm drinking a simple cup of water. It's not very exciting, <laughs> but today is one of those Mondays where you say we're starting fresh tomorrow. I had a wonderful um, dinner with my husband and my sons and my mother yesterday. We went mm-hmm. out for fondue, and I nice. definitely overindulged in the cheese and the chocolate fondue experiences. <laughs> <laughs> and what were you drinking to wash down that fondue, Patrice? Anything interesting? Nothing that interesting, just water. <laughs> okay, so you're, re- you're recovering today with water. I appreciate that. Exactly. I didn't overindulge for Mother's Day, but I brought some, some pre-cooked food from a wonderful, uh, it's an Italian market slash deli where people line up three deep to buy their things like a balsamic salmon and teriyaki salmon and haricote vert with almonds and, and beautiful sweet potato wedges that have been grilled and salads and chicken and everything is just so delicious. 
just you wish you had had were the one with the recipe. So there's no shame in saying I got it at in the name of the store. So I brought a bunch of that to my mom's, and we had a lovely, lovely lunch. And I think we mostly drank water. So I'm drinking water again, as Ari and Patrice know. They don't let Bonnie have caffeinated beverages on radio yeah. show days, and we know why. So there, cool, clear water, pink straw. Ari, the pink straw worked because it is sunny here. I guess you know in New Jersey, and Patrice knows uh, here on Long and Boston. I'm on Long Island, and thank. God, we have a beautiful sunny day today. Everybody feels better. Okay, so let's go to quick, take a quick break. And our topic today is ProServe, professional services providers, new business models for the digital economy. What are you doing now? What should you be doing tomorrow? What should you be thinking about doing for the, about doing for the long-term future? How are you going to survive? And the buzzword, I think, is still shaken, not stir. we got to shake it up, baby. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back, Michael. Out. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. SAP, co-innovating alongside customers, is taking its industry-specific solutions into the cloud. Join us to learn how to make the world run simpler in the cloud without missing a beat. It's a tall order. Digital Industries, Changing the Game brings together the people who are making it happen. We'll delve into very specific industry trends and also solutions that run across disparate industries, all to help your business succeed in your mission. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of a digitized world. Digital Industries, Changing the Game is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Digital Industries, Changing the Game, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now let's get back to Digital Industries, Changing the Game. Welcome back. Our topic today is ProServe Providers, Professional Services, New Business Models for the Digital Economy. Listen up. You can't say, I don't want to, I don't have to. You need to, and you should. And hopefully you'll know more about what to do when we finish this episode. My special guests today are Ari Kaplan, Mit Majumdar, and Patrice Capello. We're going to kick off the roundtable with notes from Ari Kaplan, at the principal at Ari Kaplan Advisors, a legal leading Legal industry analyst and inaugural Fast Case 50 honoree and a finalist for the ILTA's 2015 Thought Leader of the Year Award. We're proud of Ari. And Ari sent me the following notes. I think it's a great place to start. He says, social media presents tremendous promise for professionals to engage, understand, and support their clients. Ari. ProServe, big, broad envelope. We're putting a lot of different companies in here. What does social media mean on a broad brush basis to this reinventing and this, if you will, digitalization of ProServe? What do they need to know? They need to understand, I think, and, and you know, my, my esteemed panelists have mentioned this about being able to leverage information to distinguish yourself. Social media now has really 
it's, it sort of shrinks the market in a way that allows you to understand and to get a sense of what your target audience is most interested in and why. It, it really allows you to gather bits of information that you otherwise wouldn't have had in the past. It allows you to sort of eavesdrop in many ways on conversations to see what is of greatest concern. Because once you know what the pain points are of the people that you're trying to serve, you can come up with a solution. You can address that. You can showcase your talent and ability to provide some kind of guidance. And that's what people are looking for. Ultimately, what they're looking for is something that's an encapsulated form of giving guidance that will help them move wherever they're trying to go. And in the past, professional services providers had to jump through lots of hoops to get that information. They had to buy that information. Uh, and now it's very, it's just very easy to gather and it makes it a lot more efficient and productive because you can connect with your audience, you can see where they, where they congregate, and you can provide responses in a way that is uh, very appealing and that they will then sort of do their, your marketing for you in that they'll share it, they'll talk about it, and they'll allow you to kind of raise your profile through their response. Social media done right. Thank you. I'm going to circle through the whole panel here, and then I have some questions I'm going to address to all of you. Good start to that. Mitt Majumdar, talk to me. Social media, tremendous promise for pro-sir professionals. You agree, disagree? What are your, what's your POV here? To- totally agree with Ari here, Bani. More and more professionals and uh, personal lives are merging. You know, the lines are blurring. People are running their social lives on LinkedIn and professional lives on Facebook. Um, every individual today is spending an inordinate amount of time on social media. So, so to know the customer, you know, your consumer better, you have to engage them where they are present. So ultimately, it is all about the consumer, and you have to know your consumer well to deliver a solution that is relevant and brings value to them. So in my opinion, uh, consumer centricity is the name of the game right now. Thank you very much. Patrice Capella, thoughts? So I think there's a lot of opportunity in social media. So we could talk really on a number of different threads of how it's enabling firms to do new things. Um, but the first one that comes to my mind is professional services firms are selling services is very much based in relationships. So mm-hmm. this whole, you know, explosion of Facebook and LinkedIn in the last 10-plus years of our lives um, it opens up a ton of information that I can leverage to develop relationships in new clients or extend relationships in existing clients. So, you know, many hours would be spent trying to uncover who's the right person to go to in this particular firm that I'd like to inquire um, about being becoming a customer or selling my services to. Um, so firms are leveraging that sort of information to get them access to the right people at the right time. Um, and then what's even what's interesting, I just thought of this when Mitt was speaking, but um, corporate executive board, CEB, teaches a sales training class, and they say about my, my industry is technology, and they say nowadays before a company ever reaches out to a technology provider, they've already completed 70% of their research. Mm-hmm. So when I started out in this business, the first the beginning of the relationship was hoping they knew about you and them calling into you or sending you an RFP. And now they've practically to the end of the process by the time they engage with the provider. 
So it, it definitely speaks to how things are changing, but I think more so from an opportunity perspective um, than a negative. I just it's it's a different way that we have to acknowledge that people are are interfacing. Thank you, Patrice. Thank you, all three of you. I have two questions. Uh, Ari, since this is your topic you introduced, I'm going to start with you, and I want to cycle again through the panel. First of all, a lot of newcomers to this world of social media might say, how much time is it going to take me? Do I need to hire a separate person to do this? Do I need to hire my my my, my nephew or my, my grandson or granddaughter to do this? Uh, is it going to be 10 minutes a day? Is it going to be five hours a day? Is it going to be an extra full-time person? That's the first question. The second question is, confidentiality boundaries. I'm just going to put those two words together, if you will, Ari, meaning how much can a lawyer say in a forum on LinkedIn if they want to be part of a conversation without giving away A, the store, and B, anything confidential that might lead them into some legal risks. Same thing with a a doctor, any kind of medical professional. So, Ari, why don't you tackle both of these just briefly, and then we'll see what Mitt and Patrice have to say about these, if that's okay with you. Sure. So time is an interesting question because you have to ask yourself, all professional services providers need to ask themselves how much time they spend on connecting with their audience, connecting with their community, and leveraging social media should be built into that. It's not as if now you have to add on this new burden. It's just a new way of communicating that you're already spending time on. So, you know, whether you're doing that for five minutes a day or an hour a day, now you will take a piece of whatever you're doing and do it through some social connection. And frankly, most people, most modern professionals are leveraging this in some regard. They're, they're adding connections on LinkedIn. They may be having some interactions with professional contacts on Facebook, but they are, are, are already doing it. The question is, are they doing it on a consistent basis and are they doing it most effectively? Now, with respect to confidentiality, There's a very easy answer to this. You know, if you don't want anyone to know about whatever it is that you're saying, don't post it anywhere. Don't share it with anyone. It's like, you know, driving around with your car and having all of your personal details on the side of the car or something. Like, you Mm -hmm. obviously don't want to do that. So why would you add it to your LinkedIn profile or post it anywhere on Facebook or tweet about it? It makes absolutely no sense. So you can certainly provide information. If I'm a lawyer and I'm practicing in a certain area, if if I'm a technology provider or if I'm working Mm -hmm. in any other area of professional services, if I'm an architect and I want people to know the five things they need to know when they're designing X, Y, or Z, that's totally okay. But to reveal sort of client confidential information, it it makes no sense to do that. So why would you bother, just because you have this new tool to do it on, why would you bother violating that core principle just because technology now makes it easier? Thank you. Question to add on to that. Do you need a disclaimer that says, I am an attorney, but I cannot give legal counsel here in a forum on LinkedIn? Do you need to put that in every time you make a comment, Ari? So in certain jurisdictions, you need to have an advertising Mm -hmm. label on mm-hmm. some of the things that you're, you are sharing, and yep. it should be recognized that you're not providing legal advice. And in, some other, and in some other professional service, that may be necessary as well. I don't know. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Mitt, talk to us. What's your thought on how much time and how many new or additional staff or extra hours do you need to do social right from a pro-serve point of view to get it right, to bring those clients in, to do your homework, to reach your audience, and... What is your thought? Any extra you want to add on top of what Ari shared on terms of the boundaries of confidentiality, if you will? 
Sure, Bonnie. Actually, it's a very good question. A lot of large enterprises, you know, a lot of large telecom companies are uh, have set up separate uh, organizations just to monitor the social media, what is being said about them in Twitter, what is being said about them in Facebook, how to address customer service issues, leveraging that uh, social media uh, connection that they have with the consumer. So uh, a lot of money being spent, a lot of time and effort being spent by the enterprises. But as an individual, how much should I go and build that relationship with my customer? I think that is a, that is a personal question to ha- you know, ask. Uh, you know, what works for someone may not work for someone else. But in terms of large organizations, this is a no-brainer. It has to be done. Your consumers are always on mobile devices, always on social media. If you are not there, you are not able to hear them. If you are not able to hear them, you are not designing solutions for them correctly. So that is that is that part of it. Um, on the other side, which you, you spoke about, you know, how much information should be put in there and what is right, what is wrong. Again, enterprises have some do's and don'ts. Um, mm-hmm. I agree with Ari that, you know, um, something that will, if it can go into the Wall Street Journal tomorrow and will you be proud of it, um, if, you are, if you can put that kind of a test on everything that you put on your, um, on your social media, I think that is a good idea to do it. Um, you don't want to put something which goes into the media later on and then you regret having done that. Um, and that is that is that kind of regulation has to happen. A lot of do's and don'ts are being taught in the enterprises, but individuals have to decide. Um, you know what is it that they want to put in there and what not? Thank you, Patrice Capello. Thoughts? Yeah, what's interesting is listening to this conversation and thinking. Um, it sounds very similar to the experience of teaching your children about how to use social media responsibly. Um, <laughs> very well put, had- mom. Yeah, no, my oldest, um, he wanted to engage in every way possible through social media. And even as a young child, you know, 10 years old, we would have to teach him, you cannot post a picture of somebody unless you have their permission. If you write anything, is it something that your grandmother would approve of? You know, so we certainly have to go through the education with the children because it is a, it is a wild, wild west out there. And I've definitely seen firms encouraging employees to post in social media um, to help build the corporate brand but also their personal brand. Um, but there's a lot of education that has to go along with that too. So I, I see firms investing in it and um, even seen firms go so far as to make um, – a certain blog number of blog posts or Twitter tweets or you know as part of KPIs for a person because it, it is a lot to ask when we're already all probably doing um, one and a half full time jobs as our job so it has to be worked in and worked in the right way to be thoughtful meaningful and impactful to the company but firm and also in a lot of professional services verticals many of those professionals um, were rewarded or expected to um, publish research and find findings and so forth. So in some ways, it's embedded in certain cultures, but absolutely firms want their employees to do this, um, but obviously responsibly and, and within mm-hmm. certain guidelines. Thank you very much. I'm looking at Mitt Majumdar's notes here, and let's turn to a, a different aspect of our topic about new business models for pro-serve firms. Mitt, something very interesting here. You say it's no longer hours times rates. Let me add a little bit from your notes, Mitt, and then we'll have you run with us, and then we will see what Patrice and Ari would like to add. You say, while traditional firms have always multiple hours to be billed by rates to price engagements – 
Clients are looking now to get outcome at a fixed price. What should professional services firms do? And Mitt says to start out, figure out how to digitalize your processes so they're predictable, measurable, repeatable, and this will not only lead to fixed price engagements, it will ultimately improve your margins. Sounds very interesting. Mitt, why don't you introduce us to what they need to do? How do they start? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, traditionally, this is what has been happening, as you mentioned, right? You just multiply the billing rates with the hours and you come out with the engagements and you, you assume that the engagements will just go on and on and on. And, and during the course of that, you hope that the customers benefit by the uh, outcomes that you are giving. But, uh, but obviously the resources are limited. The, you know, the cost pressures are there. Uh, not all com- companies are just facing this problem of um, increasing the revenue and, and reducing the cost at the same time. So, so times are very different and expectations from the customers have become more towards, you know, can we share the gain that you, that, that comes out of the project that I'm giving you? Can I get, can I get a definitive outcome from this engagement? What would that outcome be? Uh, so the questions are very, very um, direct and difficult, and and the best thing for us as as professional services firms is to uh, you know increase the predictability, increase the ability to predict the outcome that is going to be, and you have confidence in signing those contracts when you are doing it. And if you have done it many times, uh, that is one way of doing it. But again, you know you are depending on the people who are doing it. But if you if you sort of digitalize all that, if you automate a lot of the work that you are doing, uh, and hence the outcome that will come will be a, will be dependent a lot on the tools and less on the people in some in some form or shape so if you are able to do that if you are able to set processes and templates that you have if you have done the same similar kind of a project if you have done it for a long period of time you can develop certain you know defined processes and templates and then the tools as well and if you if you are able to marry all those and uh, you know come out with a fixed price engagement or outcome based engagement the chances of success are very very high uh, and, and at the same time, what it does is that it reduces the time to get that project out of uh, uh, to the market, or or even the even the cost that is associated with that. So, uh, you know, it benefits the end customer, it benefits you, it creates predictability. Uh, I think it is a win-win uh, for for both the parties, in my opinion. Thank you. Appreciate that, Patrice Capello. Thoughts? Agree? Disagree? I I, I agree. I I do think that. Um, and maybe challenge, or not challenge, but add some additional color to what I see. So customers are definitely, what Mitt said is, is spot on. They're, they're just not willing to say, okay, charge me the number of hours it takes, whatever that's going to be, mm-hmm. times a fee, and that's what I will pay. So as customers have become more sophisticated and more demanding, because they're more knowledgeable, they're saying, hey, service provider, you need to take some of the risk on as well. If you're coming in here claiming you're going to be able to do this, this, and this for my company, I need you to put some skin in the game too. And that's what translates to more of the fixed price engagement. So that means I, as the provider, am taking on some of the risk because if Mm -hmm. I don't deliver in the number of hours I'm expecting, I lose or my profit margin goes down. So I would say that it's a lot of the client demand that's creating the value-based outcome um, or value-based engagements that we're seeing. And then, you know, also what that creates then internally in your organization is you have to deliver those services exactly according to plan. Mm-hmm. So I can't just bill whatever it took. I can only bill for what I told the client I was going to bill for up front in that fixed price. So I better introduce good processes, 
and discipline within my organization to ensure I deliver that work exactly according to plan. And that's one of the keys to that protection of your margin. Thank you very much. Ari Kaplan, love to get your thoughts on this. In my book, I actually talk about a concept of putting your business through a wind tunnel and streamlining it in such a way that all of the activities that you're doing have meaning. And in this case, I mean, I think the panelists have a great, this is a great point here. It's about efficiency. How am I, how can I be most efficient? So if I can whittle down what I'm doing to a single fee, it gives the client predictability. It allows a, a shared risk, but it also enables the organization that's providing the service to do it in the most efficient way possible so they can still maximize some profit, still give tremendous value to their client, but leverage technology to do sort of commoditized things that they otherwise would have an individual do, really allow them to concentrate their talent pool on the most high-value activities. Once they kind of put their business through this wind tunnel, they come out the other, you know, come out as a, as an organization that's highly efficient and really trusted. And then they can even use their efficiency as a distinguishing characteristic because the, you know, the professional services market is so competitive. And this is a really a great way to stand out. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Um, I want to ask a quick question. Is there such a thing today with this formulating a basic service at a basic price. This is what you get for this many dollars, and this is what you get for this added dollar. Such a thing as a an a la carte menu, well, this is great. We can give you this many hours, and this you'll get no, – not the hours. We'll give you this service for this number of dollars – but if you want to add the whipped cream to the sundae, that's an extra 200 If you want to add walnuts, if you want to add macadamia nuts, and then have people add on, is that a viable model, Ari? I'm just going to ask you because of your book. It happens all the time. You see it in, okay. you see it in medicine, you see it in law, you see it in architecture, you see okay. it in accounting and finance. It happens all the time. And it's uh, effective for certain organizations. Okay, thank you. Mitt, I'm going to give you just one minute to wrap up this topic. Anything you want to add to this before I move to something from Patrice? Yeah, I mean, just one uh, one more point is that there is another uh, kind of engagement that is taking a lot of, uh, you know, uh, prominence in the market is the gain share, right? So I will not pay you anything, but if I make, uh, if I get the value that you're talking about, then you can take a piece of that value. Uh, and that is also something that we are observing that is happening in the market right now. Give me an example so I, I so we can follow that. What's an example of that, please, Mitt? So if I if I say that, you know, take this tool and automate this particular process that you have, Mr. Customer, and, and if you automate, you are going to save some $1 million, um, you know, by, by ah. removing this process and put a tool in place. Okay, if I get $1 million, you take, uh, you know, 500K out of it. So I the customer doesn't have that benefit right now, but if they are going to save one, they will as well take 500K and be happy with it, and I can get 500K of that. But if it doesn't happen, then you have put Got all it. the effort, but not getting nothing out of it. And, and Mitt, this is Treat, I would completely yep. concur that that's happening. I saw a push for that in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, and it was really hard to track. And it was really hard to go back and prove um, what that mm-hmm. claim, you know, really created in terms of value for the company. But I'm definitely seeing a reemergence of that um, desire from clients. 
Thank you both. Very interesting. And Patrice, while I have you, I want to see if we can just tap into one more topic because we are almost ready for our predictions round. And Patrice, I, I'm, there's a toss up here. We're talking about how most ProServe firms have already become global and, and technology is enabling to do that. But I, what I'd really like to focus on is you say service firms are developing talent strategies around managing their total workforce, which can now include a mix of employees on the payroll, and contingent labor. Why don't you give us an overview, and then we'll very quickly have Ari give one minute on this, admit, and then we're going to move into predictions. Patrice, go ahead. Sure. So what we're seeing emerge, well, actually, let me stop for a second. In professional services, using subcontractors under your brand was a normal practice, but not necessarily one that was talked openly about. And due to a number of different factors causing change, we're seeing firms looking at what is the right mix of employees and subcontractors and moving towards whatever they deem that right mix to be. So if, if we think about certain skill sets that we might need to be able to provide our service to the client, I might not need that skill set full time. So do I want to hire that resource or, mm-hmm. I do, or do I want to just have them in a pool of approved subcontractors that I tap when I need them to come in and fill a certain role or a service for a client on my behalf? So really fascinating time that this subject is kind of up front and open and that firms are looking at, you know, what is the right mix for me? Because two of the biggest expense line items ProServe firms have are turnover and billable employees sitting on the bench because the cost Mm -hmm. is still there, but they're not billing their time. So it's really an interesting time, and it it creates new capabilities within the organization um, to do even more expanded things at a better um, cost to the client. So that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing firms developing strategies around how to do it and do it the right way. Thank you, Patrice. I'm going to go out of order here. Ari, just give me a second here, please. I'm looking at Myth's notes, and he says, Uberize or get pulverized. You really need to have your entire talent be on your payroll. What happens when there are gaps between engagements? What about seasonality of demands? But what about the motivation of when people are sitting on the bench? Mitt, I'm going to give you one minute to respond to what Patrice said, which is basically what you're talking about here. What do you think? And I, I totally agree with Patrice, actually. See, services firms have started considering just-in-time staffing pools. Um, they are developing external net talent networks, contingencies, staffing plans. Um, you see, retaining service provider expertise is important, right? I mean, we are, I'm not saying that it is not important, but not all individuals in a team need to be from the service provider themselves. The top, the top and the middle part of the staffing pyramid can be employees. But the but the several mm-hmm. roles in the bottom layers could come from the temporary staff. I, I mean, we we call it uberization of the talent pool, but call it whatever. Uh, but definitely, you cannot have all of them in your payroll. Uh, that will directly impact your margins. It will impact the motivation issues, as you mentioned. Thank you very much, Ari Kaplan. I'm going to give you one minute on this, and then I'm going to give you 60 seconds for your prediction. So, Ari, go ahead, please. Well, we live in a borderless, uh, you know, marketplace, and you know the idea of needing talent, you know, getting talent when you need it, has become commonplace, as, as Patrice just mentioned. And I think that what you will, you know, what you're starting to see are organizations that recognize this, that can provide talent from anywhere seamlessly. There's absolutely no distinction of whether the three of us, the four of us on this call, are next door to each other or you know around the world. The sound is the same. The uh, mm-hmm. experience is exactly the same. And so you're seeing a change in staffing built on this. 
Thank you very much. All great topics. Really appreciate the depth of the conversation, the depth and the breadth. Thank you all for your work, but we're not done yet. I love the year 2020, as Ari knows. It's not that far away. I don't know if it's even in the future very far anymore. It's almost right here. Ari, look into the crystal ball at Ari Kaplan Advisors and tell me what will change if we revisited this topic, the three of us, you and Mitt and Patrice and me, at some point in the future, what would we be saying differently? Would we be even using the word ProServe? Would we talk about these types of things, Uberizing your team and, and globalization and digitization, or will it already be a fait accompli and there'll be new challenges? Prediction, 60 seconds, Ari Kaplan, go. Yeah, I think that you're still going to have professional services because the art of being a professional isn't going to change. Other than the level of education or the manner in which you acquire that education, there is a certain skill level that is required to provide some of these services. It's just the delivery that will change. Will you have an office anymore? How will you communicate? What will the technology look like? That is going to be different. How do you approach a client? How do you understand what a client is trying to do? Those will all evolve, but the idea of of a professional providing some of that, at least the highest level stuff, is, isn't going to change, but the, support, the supporting team will be dynamically different. Thank you very much. Mitt Majumdar at Infosys. 60 seconds. What do you predict in the Infosys crystal ball? Mitt, go ahead. So there are three things that I believe will happen, and this is what our CEO, Dr. Vishal Sikka, uh, said, and I genuinely believe in that. One is automation. People and companies will, companies will adopt automation in a big way. This will lead to significant amplification of human abilities using techniques like artificial intelligence, robotics. And due to this phenomenon of automation, employees will get to work on more interesting and creative work, and they will also find creative ways to bring value to end consumer. The second thing that will happen is innovation. Uh, that will be the focus for every company, innovative ways to save cost, innovative business models to reach uh, end consumers. This whole disintermediation and uberization will be seen everywhere in every business. But one thing will remain constant, and that I think Ari also alluded to that, that will be education. Any organization that focuses on education of their employees on, on new business models, new technologies, they will thrive, and they will be the ones who will be able to help their own companies and their consumers to survive through this change. And that is what uh, I genuinely believe in. Thank you very much, Mitt. And Patrice Capello, I can give you a full minute as well. What do you see in the future, and how far are we looking, Patrice? Looking out even just four years, if we think about mm-hmm. 2020, um, I think we haven't even truly begun to imagine how technology will impact service delivery. We've talked a lot about automation and the benefits, and they, they clearly drive a lot of benefit to the organization and help take cost out of the delivery. But I think we will continue to see technology enable new ways of delivering services. So not just as a way to take cost out, but to also drive revenue. Um, and I think in in four years' time, I would bet maybe 25% of the top service providers around the globe will be companies we haven't even heard of yet. Mm, very interesting. Any new niche uh, pro-serve firms you can think of, Patrice? Anything you that's going to emerge as an aha? Anything you want to predict? Ooh, that's a hard one. I, I think it's around really productizing knowledge. I don't know if it will be a new niche but new capabilities for existing services firms to deliver their knowledge as a service. 
Thank you very much. Sorry to put you on the spot there, but I, I had a feeling you'd come up with something wonderful, and you did. That's, we think fast, don't we, here? This is the New Digital Age of Radio. What can I tell you? Ari Kaplan, Esquire, thank you so much. Ari, for joining us again. Mitt Majumdar at Infosys. A pleasure to meet you, Mitt. Thanks for all your prep and all the great insights you shared. And shout out to your colleagues, Promote Pratap, and our other friends at Infosys. And Patrice Capello, a pleasure again to welcome you. And we have to do a shout out to Ginger Shimp at SAP for putting together this topic in this panel and to the people who are at SAP sponsoring Digital Industries Changing the Game, Petra Benning and her colleagues. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We also have to shout out to Michael, our engineer at the Business Channel team as well. I'm Bonnie D. Graham and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Digital Industries, Changing the Game, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.